Last week, we began the process of looking at the book of Ephesians, and remember that we talked about how this letter is a, a letter that was written to a literal church in a town called Ephesus. Um, this was, Ephesus is a, is a party town. It's a town where uh, it's known for its, its drunkenness and its debauchery. It's a town that this little church is trying to grow in that is just, it, we compared it to um, uh, modern-day New Orleans. It's like a town that's known for the party atmosphere. And so here are these young Christians who are trying to live the Christian faith in the midst of a a culture that says everything that you're doing is stupid, it's silly, it's a waste of time, it's even illegal in some cases because in this particular culture, the idea of worshiping the Roman gods was the thing that brought people together. And so what you're doing is flying in the face of everything that culture says by doing this. And so Paul writes this letter to help them walk out their Christian faith. Now, we got to back up a little bit because just about every letter that Paul wrote has more or less the same uh, arc or, or outline, and it is this. He starts out, and for the first part of the book, he will for the first four and a half chapters of Ephesians, he does nothing but talk about theology. He talks about why we do what we do. And then the last chapter and a half, he tells us what to do. And so we often in the church today kind of get the cart before the horse. We talk a lot about how we're supposed to act, what we're supposed to do, do this, do that, do this over here. But we don't talk about the whys of the fact. In the book of Romans, Paul sends six chapters talking about who we are, whose we are, the why, six and a half chapters. It's not till Romans 6, 6 that Paul ever gives a command to do anything. And so Paul thinks it's really important in all of his letters that we understand the theology behind what we do. Now, in American Christianity today, uh, I, I see things on Facebook where people will say... Um, I don't want no theology, I just want Jesus. Or you can't put Jesus in a box. Well, um, the fancy theological term for that is that's stupid. Okay, that, that's like saying, I like to cook a lot, but I'm not really getting all wrapped up about recipes. Now, have you ever, has anybody here ever gotten their grandmother or their mom to teach them how to cook something? Let me take, walk you through how my mom likes to give a recipe. What you do Son, you need to put some, some flour in there and then put a pinch of salt. How exactly much is a pinch? Well, just a pinch. Put a pinch of salt. And then you need to add milk until it's right. What do you mean by right? I, I don't know what that means. And so because I try to do it, my cornbread comes out flat and nasty because the recipe that I got was all over the board as far as like trying to measure something out. Well, we, when we start out by saying, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to, you need to give, you need to don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't, don't dance, don't grow your hair long, women keep your legs crossed, do this, do that, and all, no pants, and all these kind of silly rules, and we talk about all the stuff we're supposed to do, but there's no theology that's informing that or building that out. What it ends up being is a list of do's and don'ts that has no impact on my life. And so Paul spends the first 
half of this book wanting the, the church in Ephesus to understand something really well. And today's three points, I'm going to go ahead and lay them out. Number one is everything that we do, we do it for God's glory. Whether you eat, whether you drink, or whatever you do, you do it for God's glory, not your own. The second point is, before we can, can really function in the Christian faith, we've got to understand whose we are. We are bought with a price. We belong to Christ. And thirdly, for us to really be able to function in this Christian walk, we got to understand who we are. So let's dig in. A lot, lot of stuff to see here, and we've got a, a long way to go and a short time to get there, as the song says. The first thing we've got to understand is that it's all about God being glorified. Back when we were doing foundations and we talked about evangelism, we started out talking about evangelism by saying the reason why we tell other people about Jesus is we serve a Savior who is so awesome that he deserves the praise of everyone. It's all about him. Paul says in this text, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He starts out by saying, it ain't about you, it's about him. And that's really important for us to understand because we give the impression sometimes that God came and or God sent his son so that everything would be perfect in your life. You could be healthy, you can be wealthy, your hair can have more bounce, you can have a great tan, your car can crank on the first crank. If you'll just come to Jesus, he'll fix your marriage, he'll fix your finances, it'll all be great. Has that been the experience of anybody in this room? But if we realize that the reason why God saved you, the reason why God is changing you into his image, the reason why God is investing in you the way that he is, is to bring honor and glory to himself. I, I hate to be the one to break it to you, but this ain't about you, it's about him. And I think one of the reasons why in our culture we struggle so much with depression is because we think that we're the star of our own movie. And in reality, the way to experience joy is to realize that we're a secondary character in God's movie. And when things don't go the way that we plan, that's okay because God's going to work it out in a way that's going to bring him glory. We see that when he says, the reason you were saved is according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. And he, Paul closes this section up by saying that he's doing all this to unite all things in him, things on heaven and on earth. If you notice in this particular section, over and over and over again, Paul will say, in him, in him, in him, in him. In Romans chapter 11, it says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. So this is what this means. Okay, this is mind-boggling to me. And this is what this text is saying. 
that in eternity past, God knew he was going to create. He knew that there was going to be a fall. God is omnipotent. He knew everything that was going to happen. And he looked across history. And he chose you. And he reached out and said, that one's mine. Now, that would be enough in and of itself to blow my mind. That God loves me. We, we've talked about this a lot the last few weeks. That it's important for us to understand that we're not saying that God so loved the world. That's easy for us to understand. I want us to focus in on the fact God loved you so much that he chose you. And if he stopped there, that would be enough. But he doesn't. He reaches into a broken, nasty world, picks you up, sanctifies you, changes you, cleans you up, puts you back into that broken, nasty world, and says, I'm not only going to save that one, I'm going to use that one to build my kingdom. That is shocking. That is jarring. That is unbelievable. In the light of my sin, I don't know your sin, I don't know your heart, but in the light of what my heart does, that is amazing news. The fact that God not only saves me, but he says, I'm going to use him. That is mind-blowing. And he does that so that throughout eternity, he can prove how amazing he is. See that one there? Not only did I save him, I used him to build my kingdom. See her over there? She, it wasn't her. It was for by grace are you saved through faith. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anybody should boast. She's not, she didn't bring anything to the table. And yet I saved her, and I used her to build my kingdom. And then he gets the honor and glory. As we stand around the throne, we, these broken, dirty creatures, stand around the throne saying, worthy, worthy is the lamb that was slain from the foundations of the world. Honor and glory and praise forever and ever. Amen and amen. It's all about him. It's about him getting glory. And you know what that means for me? Now, I don't know about you, but there are days... And I mess up. I know some of you don't have this problem. But I look at the end of the day, and I look at what I've done that day and what my life has been like, and I've thought, I shouldn't be acting like that. That's not, I don't like the man in the mirror. I don't like what he looks like. I don't like his attitude, and I don't like the way he's acting. If it ain't on me to save me, it ain't on me to fix me that God's going to keep working. And so I get up the next day and I say, to God's glory and God's praise, I'm going to get back in the fight. God, forgive me for the foolish behavior that I had. Let's get back to work. Amen. And that means that I'm not scared to drive down Megan because I'm going to be cussing somebody out when they, they don't know how to drive. I'm not saying that I've cussed anybody out. So don't leave here saying, did you hear that preacher say that? But with all the condensation that's fallen from the sky the last few days, we have all forgotten how to drive. I hate to go anywhere. Oh, my gosh. Ah, it's raining. We'll just swerve everywhere. Um, that was for free. Okay. So let's move on to the next one. Paul said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What? Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We've got to understand whose we are. 
even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself. Now, this is a hard concept for us to get. Okay, so you, if you're a Christian, you are God's because he made you. He created you. He made Adam, and from you, Adam came all of us. He made you. All of humanity is his. But if you're in Christ, if you're a believer, not only are you his because he made you, but you are bought with a price. Now, we, we, we have a hard time sometimes with that because of our culture and our background, but I want you to think about it this way. And we're going to get into some of this also when we talk about who we are. This world will tell you over and over and over again that you ain't enough. Your house isn't fancy enough. The clothes that you're wearing aren't good enough. Your watch isn't fancy enough. You're too fat. You're too skinny. Your car's a piece of junk. Your phone, you definitely need the new phone. This world will tell you over and over and over and over and over and over and over again that you have no value. And why they're telling you that, I'll let you in on the secret. The reason they're telling you that is because they want you to buy their junk so that that makes you feel like you have value. We, uh, in the Honeymooners class this last Sunday, talked about how um, difficult it is in our culture for a woman to feel beautiful. Because what they do is they'll take a woman who's half starved and they will put a team of people around her to paint her up and to cinch her in and to tie things around so that she doesn't even look like any human being can. And then they'll put her in front of a camera and take a picture of her. And then they'll have professionals who will get on the computer and then erase this little line and smooth these wrinkles out and do this. And then they'll put it on magazine and say, this is what you've got to look like. She didn't even look that way. This is fake. This is not real. And so women go through their lives always thinking, I'm not pretty enough, I'm too fat, I'm too skinny, my, my hips are too big, my thighs are too big, my butt's too big or not big enough. Uh, we were talking in the honeymooners class that I grew up my whole life. If Ann ever asked me, do these pants make my butt look big? What's the answer, man? <laughs> no, no, baby. Now... I hear my daughters going, hey, do these make my butt look big? And it's a totally different tone. And I'm like, where did this come from? I'm going to the men's manual going, when did it change? And what the world wants you to do is be miserable. And what, the, what we instinctively know is that worth, value, and beauty have nothing to do with the intrinsic cost of something. All right, so everybody in this room's got a, f- a phone. I've, I've got a phone here, and I, I've been told that the electronics in this phone cost about $180. All 
that the chips and the, the plastic and the glass and the metal, there's about $180 worth of stuff here. Now, I cannot go down to the T-Mobile store and say, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you $200 for one of those phones. They would laugh me out, right? The, in, the, the worth of all the parts are immaterial. The value of something is based on what somebody will pay for it, right? Correct me if I'm wrong, that a 1957 Corvette in 1957 cost $3,800. Jackie, I bet you know. About $3,800. Can you get near a 57 Corvette now for $3,800? Has somebody snuck in and put gold in the doors? No. The reason why you have to have $100,000 in your pocket to be able to sit in the seat of one is because that's what people will pay for it. You have been bought with a price. The most valuable thing in this universe is God and his son. He died for you. You're his. You have an unbelievable, immeasurable value because of the fact of who you are in him and whose you are. And if we understand that, if we can get what Paul is trying to teach us in this, it will revolutionize the way that we look at the Christian faith. The rules that we have are not put in place so that you can earn your salvation because Paul makes it really clear, you can't. You can't do it. The rules, the how to have a happy marriage, how to be a, a, a child, how to go to work. The things that he tells us at the end of, of the book of Ephesians are there so that we can live a life in joy and we can act like the people that we are in him. Paul is essentially saying across the book of Ephesians, you are a child of God. You have been enveloped and included in Christ. Now, go act like it. That is very different than me telling somebody, go act like it. There's a huge difference there. You are a child of a king. No, I'm sorry, I misspoke. You are a child of the king. Now, you, you may notice as in what I read, it said that we are sons. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. I heard uh, a preacher six, eight months ago who read this verse, and he chose, uh, decided on himself to correct the Bible and say sons and daughters. I don't want you to take that. Don't accept that. God knows what he's saying. And Paul knew what the word for daughter was. This isn't just cutting women out. The reason why Paul says you're adopted as sons is because sons rated the full inheritance. Everybody. He knows that there are females who are reading this. He's saying that you, whether male or female, you are eligible for the full inheritance of your father, and your father owns everything. This book is essentially as if you were, went to the bank and you said, I, I need $25. And you walked into the bank and you wrote a check for cash. And I, hey, we've all been there, right? Where you hoped that they could cash it. Have you ever, have you ever swiped at the, at, at, at the grocery store? Am I alone with this? Swipe at the grocery store and say, go through, oh Lord, please go through, oh Lord, please go through, oh Lord, please go through. I, I was reading a, a, an article online and this guy said, uh, 
the little question was, what's the brokest you've ever been? And the guy said, I was at Walmart, and I was buying a, a pack of Raymond noodles, which is what, like 39 cents? And the card was declined. And the cashier just slid them forward and said, just take it and go. <laughs> if you got a Walmart cashier who feels sorry for you, you broke. So you go to the bank with your, cash, your check for $25. Oh, please clear, oh, please clear, oh, please clear. And the, cash, the, the person in the bank looks at you and says, you know your daddy owns the bank, right? It's all yours. We're going through life fighting for the scraps and you own the restaurant. Your daddy owns everything. And what he doesn't own, what I'm saying is he made it all out of nothing. Stuff is immaterial. We just need to recognize that and act like it. Now, so who you are is a child of the king. You've been adopted. God chose you before the foundation of the world and brought you into his family. And the final thing I want us to understand is whose we are. I mean, who we are. We are children of Adam. Which means that in this flesh, we are in Adam. Adam is a type of Christ. Which means this, that, okay, so in Adam, that means that my natural disposition is fleshly. Go back to driving down the road. I know some of you in here, and I know myself, and I always use as an example that turn lane on Megan. See, it, it goes like this, and then there's a long lane. The purpose of that lane is if you're going to turn, you pull into that lane, you accelerate to the speed of the passing traffic, and then you go into it. Yet in Etowah County, what people love to do is turn into that turn lane and sit there with their blinker on, going. And I get behind them, and I'm like, ah! I know driving the first day is hard, but go, 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 please go. And then I get mad, because it never happens when I'm not in a hurry, right? It always happens when you've got to be somewhere five minutes ago and you're like, ah, go, 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 go. I, that's my pet peeve. Maybe your pet peeve is different. Maybe you, when you get up in the morning, the kids don't want to get up out of bed. Maybe when you, you go to work every day, there's a particular person who sits there on the phone and they talk out loud. I was in the gym the other day and there was a lady on the treadmill who decided to FaceTime her child on the treadmill. So out loud, while everybody's in there trying to run, she's like, I told you where that stuff was. You just need to get it in the oven. And I'm like, shut up! My natural response to those sorts of things is fleshly. I don't think about it. I, don't, I have to sit down in the morning and think, now today I'm going to be a jerk. So what I've got to do <laughs> is i got to work really hard and make sure that if anybody speaks to me, I'm snappy and snippy. i got to call everybody I meet stupid at least once. No, I don't have to do that. That's my natural response. We've talked about it in before. Nobody in this room had to sit your kid down and teach them how to lie. But they all learned, didn't they? 
Nobody had to teach their kid how to say no. But they figured that one out because that's their natural response. So it would be easy for us as we fight the Christian walk to think there's no hope. There's no hope for me to be changed because I'm in Adam. Since we're adopted by the Father, we are in Christ. Over and over and over and over in the book of Ephesians, Paul says, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. I want to read a quote from John Piper. The problem with the human race is not most deeply that everyone does various kinds of sins. Behind all of our depravity, behind all of our guilt, behind all of our personal sinning, there is this mysterious connection or union with Adam, our father, whose sin. And we, being in him in some mysterious way, also sin and die and are condemned. Because of the fact that we're in Adam, we're all going to die. Everybody in this room is going to die. Barring the rapture, we're all going to die. And that can be depressing. The condemnation of Adam falls on us. I continue. What Christ has done for all who are in him is far greater than what Adam did for all who are in him. It's all about the superiority of the work of Christ for those who are in him over against what happened to all who are in Adam. 1 Corinthians, Paul puts it this way. For by, as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. So in Christ, because we are in Christ, just like we're in Adam, you are free. You are no longer bound to sin. You don't have to be somebody who sins. You can get up in the morning and be a little bit more like Jesus than you were yesterday. You can be changed into his image. You can find yourself loving your enemy. You can be the husband that God has called you to be. You can be the wife that God has called you to be. You can be the mommy that God has called you to be. You can be the child that God has called you to be. Because in Christ, once we recognize who we are, we recognize that we are free. Amen. Father God, I pray that you will apply your word to our hearts, that as we dig in the book of Ephesians and we see how much you've changed us, how you didn't just rebuild us, but that you recreated us. God, that you adopted us into your family and made us your own. How much we rate of the inheritance, how much you are changing us and rebuilding us. God, I pray that you will open the eyes of this congregation to understand who they are in Christ and whose they are, and that they are free. And we're free to love, and we're free to serve, and we're free to be the people that you've called us to be. Oh, God, I pray that as we go through the book of Ephesians, that you will hammer this truth home. Lord, help us to believe that truth to live in the light of that truth. God, help this to be what motivates us, what moves us, and what changes us. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for all that you are, all that you've done, and all that you're trying to do in us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.